Before we start the announcement, can you say that God is good? How often? All the time. <laughs> Amen. So uh, this week, uh, taking a look at, well, actually today, Franklin Graham's Decision America will be in Asheville at 4 for those of you who um, have been f- tracking with him. Um, he's going after the, the loss just like his father. It's awesome. So he'll have a couple of Calvary Chapel musicians with him uh, in Asheville. So uh, if you're looking for something to do, it would be a good place to go. Uh, Franklin Graham's Decision America. And looking at our week here, on Tuesday morning, the ladies will meet here at 9 a.m. for Bible study and also 7 p.m. And also the um, studies are available. If you can't make it, they're in the kiosk there in the little slots. You can snag the notes and study on your own, but it's always good. And you can listen online. That's right. Um... Wednesday, we'll be continuing our study through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And then, uh, fellas, just want to remind you, next Saturday we'll meet again, uh, talking about uh, the second of the three mighty men of King David. Uh, there in Second Samuel 23, so uh, I've got the notes for that over there in the chaos as well. And then we'll have a special presentation by Carl Gassman. Carl is a uh, black belt uh, of several degrees, uh, he'll he'll explain all that uh, when you come, and so he's going to do a demonstration, and uh, the rest of us will clean up the mess uh, <laughs> after he's done. <laughs> it's just what guys do, you know. We just <laughs> and then Caitlin, you have something to say about the fireside night at your home. And then uh, next week we have the Agape Feast, the Fall Harvest Delight. I'm kind of curious as to what that is. Um, I won't ask any more questions about that. Sounds next Sunday. Yes, next Sunday, and it sounds delightful, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, smarty. <laughs> and then, fellas, I put a uh, we put a sign up sheet over there for the Deep South Men's Conference, and that has to do with not necessarily paying, but knowing who's going so if you uh need a ride or you're planning to go and you want to make uh share a, a room a hotel room with somebody else we can align those things so please if you're going sign up there so we know and we can uh communicate with one another accordingly so uh at this time let's go ahead and stand and prepare our hearts We have take great confidence, Lord, in your word. And what you have said is true and is no lie. It's impossible for you to lie. And your hand is upon each of our lives, for which we are so grateful, Lord. And now as we just lift these prayers to you, we just ask that you truly would hear from heaven and answer according to your wise counsel and purpose, Lord. Something that we just don't question at all because you're perfect. We just pray that you'd bless your people today, Lord. That your face would shine upon each one of us and that you would lift up your countenance upon our lives. We seek you, your best. We seek your glory, Father. In Jesus' name. One of the things that we want to do as part of our worship service is to bring our giving to the Lord. So we're having... uh, some of the leaders come up and pray, and so Bruce is going to be praying for our offerings today. Oh, Lord, it is our privilege. 
besides joy is to give back to you of the many things and provisions that you give us. And we ask that you bless this offering today, Lord, that you use it for your will, for what you would have us do. Give us, as leaders of this church, the wisdom to do what is right in your eyes, Lord, that we help others, that we just send out the word, that we continue and always do what is in our hearts to do that you have given to us, Lord. Give us your Holy Spirit guidance in all that we do. We are just so grateful mm -hmm. that we can give to you, Lord. We know that we do it cheerfully. And we Hallelujah. So grateful. <laughs> Thank you, sir. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus 4. The children that may be in here may go if you haven't gone already uh, to the back. And then we're in Leviticus chapter 4. When you get there, Please stand. I know this, you're thinking, oh my goodness, we're going to get leg cramps. This is, there's oh my, 35 verses here. So just no problem. We're only going to read 12 of them and then make a point to read a couple more after that. Leviticus chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood even seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord which is in the tabernacle of meeting. He shall pour out the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the, burnt, of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take it from it all the fat of the bull as a sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. He shall remove as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and all its flesh, with its head, its legs, and entrails, and offal, the whole bull shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out, and burn it on the wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. Now verse 13 now, if the whole congregation sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, that they have done something against the commandments of the Lord in anything which should not be done and are guilty. Now, verse 22. And when a ruler has sinned and done something intentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord, his God, in anything which should not be done and is guilty, or if his sin in which he is committed comes to his knowledge, he shall bring it as an offering, a kid of goats, a male without blemish. And then down in verse 27, if any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against the commandment of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done he and is guilty, and of his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring an offering of the kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And may God bless his word. You may be seated. And we stand because we have high reverence and honor for God's word. And my responsibility is to try to give the sense of what we've read. And I've got to be honest with you. When you start going through some of these offerings, I'm not Jewish. <laughs> Not a great revelation to you, but um, 
I remember reading through Leviticus as a young man, and I'm like, I have no clue what's going on here. <laughs> I don't understand all these different offerings, and you know, and of course, you hear bits and pieces when you're young in the Lord, and you're, you know, you first begin your church experience, and they are teaching the Bible, and you think, all right, well, it's all symbolism of what Jesus did. Well, thank you, that helps a lot. He died on the cross. You know, it's kind of nice to get some of the connections, you know. And so, uh, just just to sort of let you know that it, this isn't the easiest thing to, to, to read and understand. So, don't feel like um, you're, you're all alone in that, if you if that's your issue. Uh, just because it was happened to be mine, I'm not trying to make it yours. <laughs> I just know that that's, it's, it's not easy. And so uh, you may take the time to read through the re- whole chapter on your own, but essentially uh, what we've read we know now is about the sin offering, which is about unintentional sin. I didn't know about it. I didn't mean to do it, but it's been done and there's guilt. And so how do I deal with that? And so this is, uh, again, uh, what's important. Uh, Children of Israel needed to know how to deal with things that uh, were not intended to be done. The sin offering covers that. Now, how does this relate to the New Testament believer? Because obviously that's what we need to glean from it. Well, uh, let's just put it this way. It may be your experience this morning. It's my experience on a regular basis. Uh, There are times when I I just sense that there's something between me and the Lord. Now, I haven't done any egregious thing. I haven't watched anything I shouldn't have watched. I haven't spoke to anybody, but I just feel like, you know, where's God? I don't necessarily feel his presence, and and I don't feel, you know, the emotional part of it, that, that sense of presence like I really like to have, regularly all the time right like like the 24 7 365 approach i like that i don't want the lord to feel like he's at a distance and far from me but we do go through that because of our makeup because we have a fallen nature and because of actually who god is uh and so uh we're not always aware of things that we may have said or thought or done uh that relates to this and so sometimes it's just where we're at uh and so i think this is sort of what we have to do when we come to church is like, well, Lord, you know, I, I don't know what to confess, but I, I want to get close. So this is sort of what's going on. There's something that we're ignorant of maybe. And so we're all experienced this on a time or two, uh, probably. Uh, sort of reminds me of the Sunday school teacher who had uh, just concluded her lesson uh, on sin and she wanted to get her point across. <laughs> and so she said at the end of her lesson, uh, can anybody tell me um, what you must do to obtain forgiveness of sin? <laughs> and so there was a, a short pause uh, for a bit and then from the back of the room, one of the little boys said, you have to sin. <laughs> First thing you have to do to get forgiveness is, well, you got to be guilty. <laughs> you got to sin. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, that's pretty profound, but unfortunately, that's quite true. And we're all quite guilty of that, right? We're all sinners uh, in the eyes of God. We all fall short of God's perfection, God's glory. And, we're not, and we need to understand we're not even close. We're not even close. You know, there's a lot of people that are filled with self-righteousness. They have a pretty high view of themselves. You know, I don't lie, cheat, steal, and commit adultery and all those evil things. I've never murdered anybody. You know, we sort of measure ourselves by those kinds of things. But that's not all that can go on in the heart. Jesus described the heart. Within the heart of man are blasphemies and hatred and all kinds of corruption proceeds and all those sins can be forgiven uh, of the sons of men jesus said but one of the things we must keep in our minds when it comes to sin because we all have to deal with it believers must deal with sin yes we're forgiven positionally in christ we are eternally forgiven but we must deal with it experientially on a day-to-day basis when it arises in our flesh, our fallen nature, gets the best of us, we must deal with it. We can't let these little sins 
build up within our lives. We've got to keep a clean conscience and deal with the guilt that happens. You know, in Proverbs, it talks about the little fox. You don't let the little foxes into the vineyard. Why not? Well, this, what, what do little foxes do? They go around and they nibble on the, the vines coming out of the ground. You, 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 you sever the vine at the base. You've lost it's the your entire vine is gone. It's lost. There'll be no fruit. And this is what happens if we don't deal with the little things in our life. The fruit will not happen in our life. Jesus said, abide in me, I in you. He that abides in me shall bring forth fruit. Fruit that will remain. Fruit that will glorify your Father in heaven. So God is all about producing fruit. Fruit of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life. And so this is what... uh, can apply from this particular scripture. God was showing them uh, how to deal with this unintentional action, thoughts, words, and deeds uh, that come about in a person's life who lives in this fallen world with a fallen nature. One of the things, again, you, we can't forget, we should never forget, is God's attributes are eternal. Everything about God is eternal which means his grace can never be exhausted. You can't ever get to the point where you, God said, I've had it, I'm done with you, no more grace for you. I'm out, I ran out, I'm sorry. Figure it out on your own. You'll never get that from God. Nor his mercy. For those who love God and those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it is eternal forever extended to you and I. You and I will experience the grace of God throughout all eternity. Isn't that a wonderful thought? God will just keep giving and giving without us ever having to earn it or be good little girls and boys. It's because of who he is that we receive these things. We can never exhaust these attributes of God. So we talk about sin a lot. It's probably a good idea to define it. Now, most of us understand, we've heard it, been in church enough to know that, well, you know, it just means to miss the mark. You know, the guy would, the old English game of shooting arrows, you know, you, you shoot 10 arrows and, you know, whoever hits the bullseye, well, that's perfection. That's exactly what needed to be done. You know, in regards to to that, you know, you can hit all, you'd have to hit all 10 of them to be perfect. To miss one, well, then you're a sinner. You missed the mark. To miss all ten, you're still a sinner. Now we're talking degrees of sinfulness, right? And so, you know, we, we, we have those illustrations given to us over the years. We know that. But the word that's used here, hata, in the Hebrew, is it's translated here, the sin offering. Uh, it does mean that. It does mean to miss the mark. But it also is used other places where it describes um, the idea of purification. You know, like uh, after, uh, later on, in uh, I think it's chapter 12, if I remember right, uh, after giving birth to a child, uh, the woman would have to make a, a sin offering. And the idea behind this is the idea of purification purification. So anything that pertains to life and blood, there's, those are the things that need offerings and purification uh, to be done uh, before the Lord. And so uh, it's, if you could, you could read this here and said in the sin offering, it would be uh, really the purification offering. Isn't that make you feel a little bit better? <laughs> I don't know if it does or not. It just tells you that our state, we're, we're not as pure as we need to be. I mean, we're talking about a God that is absolutely holy and perfect. Something that's hard for our minds to get around what that really means. But again, that's the purpose there. It's, and so the idea of making this offering is that you're restoring the purity of the person who's offering it and also the sanctuary because we're involved here uh, with not just the common people as we read, or the ruler as we read, or but a person and even the anointed priest. And that one was, uh, and we'll get into that here in a minute, was very important. So again, the two things, purifying the sanctuary and the altar and then cleansing the person coming to um, the Lord. You know, 
in, in simple terms, making sure you're right with God. Now, when we go do the hospital visitation and we go to someone who's on the deathbed, you know, what, what's on my mind is this, is this soul, if I don't know them, my, my objective in a very gentle, loving way is to find out, is there, are they secure? Are they secure for eternity? Are they right with God? And it's so easy to become right with God. It's there for the asking. And so this is so so very important. I wish we didn't, you know, have this problem with sin. I wish we weren't weak and beset by it. And it's there, you know, Hebrews talks about it being a weight. It's a drag. <laughs> it really is. You know, to sin is a real drag. I mean, you got you got the guilt coming on, and then oh, you got to stop what you're doing, and you got to deal with it. You know, this mindset. You know, kind of reminds me as an adult, um, spiritually speaking, anyway. Uh, the the Chinese proverb: um, "Spank your children once a day," because although you might know not know why uh, they do <laughs> you know so we have these unknown unintentional things going on it's sort of like guilt and we don't know why it's there but it's you know it's there <laughs> we feel like we need to get spanked right because we, we're, we're guilty that's why maybe people go to churches where the pastor beats them over the head with the truth which should never happen by the way can't do that to people you mean yeah i know i'm i'm such a sinner you know you know you walk out feeling worse than when you walked in that's not a good sign uh yeah not at all and i hope you don't feel that way i hope you feel loved and graced and and you sense the mercy and the goodness and the love of god because he loves us i'm just so we just have to so recognize the provision of christ is so sufficient for our weakness so important Yes, our hearts do condemn us. But God, as the Bible says, is greater than our hearts. And he knows all things. You just hang on because he's your, you're his child and he loves you eternally. Now, so now that we've defined sin as sort of missing the mark, I, I actually think it needs to be a little bit, we can do a little better maybe. And I can do no better than uh, Susanna Wesley. Now, she bore 17 children. Her husband was an alcoholic, a tra- an absolute train wreck. But she raised several godly children, but two of them in particular became pastors, Charles and John. And so she wrote this letter to John as he, you know, he would go around on horseback and, and minister. This is uh, back in the 1700s. And this is what she wrote. This, is, this lady was a theologian at heart. I'm telling you, listen to this. Quote, take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures the sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. That is a powerful statement in regards to sin. What might your conscience is going to be a little bit different than mine. I've got maybe some liberties that you don't. You probably have some liberties that I don't. You can do certain things that, that doesn't bother you a bit, and that's fine. I can do certain things maybe that doesn't bother me, and if you would do it, it would bother you. And so you can't, that's why we can't judge one another. Last time I checked, to be able to judge other people, it took omniscience, and I don't have that. I don't have all knowledge. To be a judge of anyone, you must have all the knowledge. Nobody on the human level has that. So we just leave each other alone. And if you don't like what someone else is doing and it offends you, well, pray for them and uh, work it out <laughs> the best you can. Well, let me read this again in regards to sin. I just think it's very powerful. It really has spoken to my own heart. Take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, 
That thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. So let's just think about for a moment how serious this matter of sin is. What it cost God to right the wrong that was committed by our first parents in the garden. Adam, where are you? Well, he's hiding in the bushes with his wife. Adam, where are you? Have you eaten of the tree? Oh, yeah. You could just, it wasn't an angry father. It was a disappointment. And this is how we feel towards our children. It isn't when we're, that they sin against us or do things that make us feel bad. It's just we realize this is disappointing. And I, God had already knew that it was going to happen. He wasn't shocked. And he has a, in, in God's original intention with Adam and Eve is going to happen. It's still going to happen. It's just taken a number of years for the plan to work out. He's going to punish the evil one for the seduction and all that went on. And, and the fallen angels and the demonic forces, and they're going to get their comeuppance. They're going to get what's coming to them. And God's plan is going to come to fruition. It's going to happen. We'll be able to understand a lot better on the other side than we do now, that's for sure. And so, as Finney said, sin is the most expensive thing in the universe. If it is forgiven sin, it costs God his only son. If it's unforgiven sin, it costs the sinner his soul and an eternity in hell. Sometimes I have these thoughts of what it must be like in hell to be separated from God. It concerns me deeply. I'm, I'll just make a, a confession here. I, I kind of, it's probably a big shock to you. I obsess on certain things on occasion. What do you call that? Um, there's a little word for my impulses. <laughs> My quirk, <laughs> OCD, yeah, that's one of them. But death, I've always taken death uh, before I became a Christian. It just the process. I, you know, I'm sure some of you feel the same way. It's just someone's close to you. You just you don't take it well. I, it, they don't even. I don't really even have to know the people. And I start thinking about the whole thing, you know, and the first thing that comes to mind, were they right with the Lord? Where did they go? I mean, to think about hell is unthinkable punishment. And to realize that I can, as, as a servant of God, I can be a vessel to, to deliver people from, from that awful eternal torment. I think it's something that we should be conscious of. What is what is it like to be separated from God? It's hard to grasp. You know, you we sense a little bit of hell with guilt, because that's really what hell is. And in, in, in a one in a great sense, the people will be bearing their guilt for all eternity. I don't know about you, but I can't. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like guilt on my conscience. It's like I want to get away. You can you. Guilt is spiritual. You, can, you can't medicate it away. You can't give it enough alcohol to go away or drown it out. Guilt, the only way guilt can leave is through the work of forgiveness. Only forgiveness can relieve us from guilt. And only God can provide that forgiveness. Now we let each other off the hook. Why? Because we're all equally guilty before God. And we all do the same things to one another. If not, we thank them. And regardless, God forgives us. And it's in that sin just, it, I don't know where does it go. As far as God drops it in the sea of forgetfulness. He takes it away. The power of the sacrifice. And I think it's sad. Because I think people live... Too many people, and I'm speaking to believers here, too many believers live 
with unnecessary guilt. We are not supposed to carry guilt around in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. We need to deal with it, whatever, wherever we've fallen short, unintentionally or not. And I believe there's, there are sins of commission. There are sins of omission. We'll talk about that a little later. They, he mentions these as we uh, kind of break off into some of these other laws, uh, the laws concerning each of these sacrifices. A psychiatrist said uh, once that if he could convince all the patients in the psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would go home the next day. Isn't that incredible? Now, I'm not a psychologist, and I'm not necessarily fond of these guys, but, you know, they're, they're just studying human behavior. And it just tells you how powerful guilt is and how it robs people of the gift of God, the peace of God. Because on the other side of guilt, is they, they do not coexist. There's no way peace and guilt can coexist. They are mutually exclusive from one another. And I don't know about you, but I love peace and I hate guilt. And so looking at verses 1 for 12, then here... Um, the idea of intentional sin, missing the mark, bringing guilt. Now, the idea here, too, notice he says, he starts with the leadership. If, you know, if, if a person sins, and then right away, verse 3, if the anointed priest sins, always starts at the top. In any kind of organization or in the church, God always judges the top first. And notice here, bringing guilt upon the people. Let's not just read through that and think, well, wow, yeah. How could his sin bring guilt upon? He's the one that did it. Why are they getting it? Well, simply this. What was the position? The position of the high priest was to represent God to the people and the people to the Lord to Yahweh, and by him committing a sin, probably a ceremonial sin, not necessarily a personal sin, although that would affect possibly his service, but it primarily in his representation, and so they're getting the wrong picture of God. And God doesn't take it lightly. For those of us who represent God, those men that God has called to the pulpit ministry, God takes really very seriously how we represent him. And we're going to be judged on how we, that's what the Bible talks about. Not everybody should become a teacher because knowing that we shall receive a greater condemnation, a more stricter judgment. Now let's think about this for a minute. We've got a perfect illustration in Moses. Was there a greater man, a greater servant of God than Moses? Probably not too many on that level or above him. He makes men of all the earth, a very humble man. But he had a problem with anger, and he lost his cool, and he didn't quite listen to the Lord. He, well, I can't really blame him. I'd have lost my cool, too, with those people. I don't know how he held up. I mean, he strikes the rock, and water comes out, and the people are, their, their thirst is quenched. And then they proceed down the road, a while, and they get thirsty again. And so he's to go back to the rock. And the Lord said, speak to the rock. And Moses was angry with the people. He didn't have time to work through the issues. Must we fetch you rebels water? You know, he was ripped. He was angry. And he smote the rock. And the Lord said, Moses, come here. We need to go have a talk. He took him to the woodshed, you know. We've all been there, right? You know, you can't go into the promised land now. You've misrepresented me before the people. There's a price to pay for leadership when we misrepresent God to his people. And, you know, we're forgiven. Moses was forgiven. But there's still a price. David sinned. He was forgiven, but there was a price tag. There's always a price to pay. God can temper the harvest of our sin, but 
it still hurts. It's still painful. And so that, that's the deterrent right there. You sin and do things against the word of the Lord in, unintentionally or intentionally. There's going to be a stinger attached. Forgiveness, yes. But there's the sowing and reaping that can take place. And so in this case, when the anointed priest sins, he brings guilt upon the people. So the sin, unrepented and unforgiven at the top, will affect the whole congregation. And we see this happening in the church. It's one of the it's one of the heartaches that, as a pastor, I have, and I'm sure you do, as just simply as we do as believers, when there's a moral failure of pastors, and they get caught up in a sexual scandal, a money scandal. And it usually is because they've become full of themselves and think they're above the people. And that can happen to anyone. None of us are above that. I love, never will forget what Billy Graham taught years and years ago. To leadership. Don't touch the money, don't touch the women, and don't touch the glory. And that's a good rule of thumb. Because you've got the lust of the flesh, you've got the lust of the eyes, and you have the pride of life. And that's what we all have to fight against, whether you're a pastor or just a common believer in the body of Christ. We all have the same war to fight to fight, so to speak. So along those lines, you can pray for me. I'd like to be protected from that and from that guy I look in the mirror at in the morning. You know, he's my worst enemy. I don't worry about the devil. He's, you know, he's there and he can set me up. I get that. But but it's my choice. It's me. It's my heart. I want to stay, I need to stay close to the Lord and I want to stay close to the Lord. And uh, I've heard enough horror stories that scare me to death in that regard. So I do appreciate your prayers. And I'm doing okay at this point because of your prayers, but I keep it up, okay? <laughs> Now, the idea, too, that we don't want to miss here, with sinning, you know, uh, inadvertently or whatever, uh, due to ignorance uh, or of neglect, negligence, um, you know, if there's negligence and conditions that people are interacting in business and other things, and, you know, things happen. There's just an unintended result that comes about. Um, what we assume here is that everybody wants to do what's right. You love God, you want to do what's right. And this is uh, what's what's the assumption is, uh, the overall backside of this here. Uh, people aren't naturally, or, you know, that love God defiant. Oh, I can hardly wait to, you know, mess with that guy. You know, we're not, we want to do what's right. We want to be good, you know, uh, we just struggling being perfect at it, right? So that's sort of the idea. Probably could go without saying, but that's important. So as we make our way through, this is obviously very repetitious. Uh, the, the sins are, uh, uh, they are against God, against the commandments of God. All sin, first and foremost, is against the Lord. And we obviously recognize that. Uh, doing things that ought not to be done, uh, procedure you know the the higher up it seems to me as i read through this the, the higher up in leadership you know the anointed priest the the more valuable the animal you know the as we work through the the common guy could get by with offering less but the the priest no you are paying the full price the most valuable of all the animals and so there is sort of a little hierarchy that comes into play there uh and rightly so At the door, the anointed priest was to kill the oxen, the bull, at the door. No different than anybody else. And again, what can we glean from this, from the New Testament? One of the things that, the, though the church in Ephesus, this is chapter 2 of Revelation, they had everything down doctrinally, but they had we're missing, over time, the one of the most important things. They left their first love. One of the things, they, they were so good in their doctrine. This would be like the early church era. They had doctrine nailed. 
I think Calvary Chapel has a lot of doctrine nailed down. So we have to be careful we don't fall into that same sin and become sort of cavalier about the presence of God or the Word of God or the things of God and just get sort of comfortable with it that we become nonchalant. I think that's really a scary place to be. We should be really careful. But one of the things that relates to this that I think is very important is that they hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And that doctrine was the idea is that you needed a priest. You needed a go-between between you, yourself, the common man, the common believer, and God. And they were right there to be that for you. And usually there was a price involved. And God said, I hate that. Jesus is our mediator. We don't longer need a priest. No priest can absolve anyone of sin. It's only the great high priest that absolves sins and takes away guilt. And so, but it's at the door. Do you see that connection there? They have to make atonement for their wrongdoing just like everybody else. If they mess up, they sin, they've got to deal with it too. There's no exceptions here. And I love that because the Bible teaches us that God is not a respecter of persons. You've got just as a right to the entrance and to talk and to have audience with God as much as any saint does, anyone that loves the Lord. And I think it's a wonderful truth to, to be reminded of. So the idea, again, once again, laying on of the hands is to transfer the guilt. The animal it pays the debt through his lifeblood, and then it's poured out. And so, again, the laying on of hands, identification, transfer, all that. We've gone through that several times now. You should have that pretty well in your heart. Notice here, it adds seven times before the Lord that the blood was to be sprinkled. So they would catch the blood in the base, you know, from the neck and all. The animal dies, fades, and all this. And catch the blood, take it in, and sprinkle it seven times uh, before the, the veil there. What is number seven? We all know it's the number of completeness, isn't it? So the idea is the purification is completed. The unintentional sin, the sin of ignorance is is taken care of. The imperfections, it's been purified now through sacrifice. This is what uh, is being conveyed there. And then, of course, they place some of the blood on the altar of incense. And so prayer and forgiveness equals atonement. The blood has been shed. And so, and then in some of these, when we get to the the, uh, end of them there, the fat is offered. Now, again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and last week in particular, I guess. Um, The fat represents the best, the best in quality. And and it's, as he said here, uh, like the, Peace offering. You take out the entrails and the two kidneys and the fatty lobe on the liver. All that represents the best. The choices belong to God. It's burned upon the altar as a sweet-smelling savor to the God, to, uh, to God. And then the remaining leftovers of the animal, the hide, as we read there, the legs, the rest of the entrails and the offals, the carried outside the camp. And the writer of Hebrews pulls in on this for this symbolism as well. Jesus, taken outside the camp, he suffered outside the city gate there on Golgotha, bled and died for the sins of the nation and sins of the whole world. And so then again, 13 through 21, we have the congregation in particular here. So everybody's covered. The, The high priest, the congregation itself, when there's ignor- you know, ignorance there and you know, unintentional. And then also, uh, verse 22, the ruler and the kings that would follow, uh, they had to do the same thing. Uh, no free, free rides here. And then verses 27 through 35, the common people were just simply repeating the same things. And then, again, atonement is made and forgiveness is extended through the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so this is, again, this is driven home time and time again when they would offer uh, these sacrifices uh, to the Lord.
So he does clarify some things here at the end of the chapter. When um, the sin offering or this purification offering is made, it, uh, the sin offering was always offered first. It's the idea of, of, of pure, you need to be pure before you offer the burnt offering or the peace offering. And this is important. And these, the first three that we've uh, covered here, you know, you had the burnt offering in chapter one, the grain offering in chapter two, and then last week the peace offering. Those three were all voluntary. It, they, it, it, it was on the person to want to do this. It wasn't mandatory to offer them. But when there was unintentional sin, this was a requirement to get purified, so to speak, so that you could offer those others. And again, this, the idea is that the onus is on us to come to the Lord. Well, I'm just waiting for God to bless me. I'm just waiting for it to happen. Or are you seeking the Lord? <laughs> or are you asking God Fervently, I mean, is it really important to you that you are beseeching him? You're coming before him. It's on us to approach God. He's made the way into the Holy of Holies. It's just, we can't, it's not passivity on our part. It's actually an active passivity in the sense that the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. He's urging us to move in that direction. But we have to, we have to move. We have to do it. We have to approach and so this is a again, just again a, a quick review of those offerings. What, the burnt offering, it, it typifies self surrender. The grain offering, submission, loyal submission, and then the peace offering, um, fellowship with Yahweh in His house, eating a meal before the Lord. You know it's kind of great, and that you know not only does He provide forgiveness and and everything but complete unity and fellowship and by consuming that f- sacrifice on the altar he's consuming the meal where you're eating with god and see this is why we do the, the thing in the back and we all like to eat it's just that's important but it's there's a spiritual significance when the jewish people looked at food and considered food it was when you sat down to eat a meal with your neighbor, you were eating the food, they were eating the food, and you're consuming the same thing, and there's a oneness that's taking place because we're both eating from the same stock and we're both getting the same nutrients. Therefore, we have a oneness. That's, what is, that's what's implied in eating together. That's why the Jews would not eat with the Gentile. It was forbidden. Why would... A believer in Yahweh want to unify or become one with a sinner, someone who did not respect God or care about things of God. That's not that's an unholy union. The Bible's clear. Again, these you can't miss this when you're going through here. This is a separation from the unclean and the unholy and the defiled. This is what if they learn nothing else about these sacrifices and these washings and these r- sacrificial rituals, they learn that. God is holy. I'm not. I've got to go through this process. I have to avoid anything that's going to defile me. And therefore, eating with a Gentile would be a way of defiling themselves. And they sort of become self-righteous over the years over this whole thing. And they sort of, and what did they call the Gentiles? Dogs. <laughs> okay. We're dogs. All right. Thank you very much. It's okay. We're not dogs anymore. (laughs) We're saints. Chosen by God. Washed in his blood. We're converted. And so, I'm going to finish up a little bit early here today. You know, over the years here, you know, uh, starting the church and all, I've had people ask, why don't you ever have altar calls? And my first thought is always, in a joking way, are you serious? This sanctuary is an altar. (laughs) You're here, you're at the altar, right? (laughs) 
And I think this is a, I think sin and guilt in a person's life is a big thing that, that needs to be dealt with. And so the worship team is going to come back up. And you can do that now, guys. Um, you know, you may have some guilt going on in your life. And some things that you just haven't dealt with. There, there may be the little foxes. Or you may have some full-grown ones. I know, you know, I'm not here to judge. But what I am here to, to do is to lead you to the sacrifice of Christ. It's so important that you bring that guilt to the Lord, that you do not take it with you. It will mess with your mind. It will hinder you from being fruitful, from becoming all that God intends your life to be. And we're, hey, let's be honest here. There's no shame here. There's no shame for us as believers. Jesus took the shame for us. He was stripped naked before the multitude. He took on the shame. So for you to stand, I want you, what we're going to do is we're eventually all going to stand. But as you want to get your guilt dealt with, you have to set aside your pride. And I'll be the first to stand. I know I'm standing, but I'm going to just know that I'm going to stand here in a minute. I'm with you. I want all the guilt, all the mistakes, all the whatever, unintentional sin, all of it brought under the precious blood of Jesus. I want to be so clean, so undefiled before God. And so if you're in that position this morning and you consciously know you need that, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. You're coming, you're at the altar now. And you can stand. And in standing, you're acknowledging you need forgiveness. And that in standing, God is going to release you from that guilt and wash you clean. So when you leave here, you'll experience what Paul was talking about. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. No one in this room should ever feel condemned for their sin. Jesus paid the price. And the only way you could possibly feel condemned is because you're not dealing with it. And so you're getting an opportunity now. So important. So if you're in that category, and like I said, I'm standing first, please stand to your feet and allow the precious blood of Jesus to cleanse you.